0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brandt. And this episode, put on your fat man's pajamas and your designer's sunglasses. Your m'boogaloo daddy and bingo's fada has called the Secret Marines because it's SST-137, the Zoog's Rift album, Water 2, at a safe distance. We haven't had the liquid Moamo on for a while, Brandt. But uh, always love a Zoogs episode, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Mr. California's
1: back in the saddle. It's hey a, now. It's too long for me. I could do with a Zoogs episode like every, every five episodes.
0: Yeah, the last few have felt really serious, not this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, it is, but it is great. We're fans, and there's some great tunes on this record. So uh, looking forward to getting into it. Um, I'm afraid to ask, Brandt, do you have any spiels? Oh, I've got spiels aplenty, believe me. Do it.
1: Okay. Here's a Henry Kaiser spiel. So on the Cuneiform Records YouTube channel, he has a weekly show called Shelter in Place, I think is what it's called. It's like a solo show. It's a weekly thing of him performing solo, talking about pedals and gear and guitars. He, he does a few duets, one with Mike Baguetta, by the way. Um, oh cool! And on episode thirteen, he does "Devil in the Drain," and he says it's the first time he's performed it in probably twenty years. He performs it on this crazy ass harp guitar thing, and uh, it's cool. There's all these wild visuals in the background on all his videos. It's it's pretty cool. It's definitely <laughs> very Henry Kaiser esque. Nice. Okay, I have a podcast shout-out. I've actually talked about this podcast many times because I love it. It's the Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast. Great podcast hosted by Soraya and Jeff. And on the one of the latest episodes, they had Vitas Matare and John Rosewall of The Last, Trotsky, Danny and the Doorknobs. And it's an entire episode about the Petrified Max record that you mentioned a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great interview about the writing and recording of the record. They talk about their future plans a lot and they play some tracks off the record too, so and they kinda go, go through it track by track and discuss, you know, with with Vitas and John the making of the album. So it's a good one.
0: Yeah, Vitas is a hella swell of fella for sure. I mean, people have mentioned him on numerous uh episodes of this show as uh you know He's so well-liked as a producer, as a uh, a fellow musician. I order everything on Poison Summer. The last couple of years, they put out some killer stuff. Yeah. Okay,
1: and then on another podcast note, Henry Rollins has been making the rounds on the Stooges uh, funhouse sessions that he wrote the liner notes to. Uh, There's a great unboxing video he did where he unboxes what he calls a suitcase of records. And, I mean, I could listen <laughs> to him talk about the Stooges all day long. And he was on this Rhino podcast with a great two-parter on the complete Funhouse Sessions box set. And it's really good. Uh, he did the liner notes for it. He interviewed tons of people, including the engineer Don Galucci. So it's a great listen. It really makes you want to listen to to the records. And finally, Ryan, on my ongoing segment of get this shit off my phone, I have the H section. Oh, boy. H's. Do you have a name for me? Because I couldn't think of one. Oh, man. I actually didn't think of one. Oh, no. Well, we might have to just call this the H section this week. Maybe our listeners will get to name this one after the fact. Wow,
0: I really feel like I dropped the ball. I completely forgot about that.
1: Okay. Well, you've got your pen handy, and that's the important thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay a great recommend from you ryan to get us started i did that the brand new record from heads with a yeah. period at the end of their name yeah push push it's really good oh yeah yeah i like it a lot here's a recommend for from me to you ryan if you don't know this record do you know the band heroic doses i do why do i know it well they have one self-titled record on subpop it came out way back in 1998 Just the one record, it's Bill Dolan from uh, a band called Five Style, who also had a couple releases on sub-pop that are really great. It's good, riffy, mostly instrumental. It's a bit proggy, and it's really good. Heroic Doses from Chicago.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That rings a bell. I'm not sure that I've dug deeply into it, but I'm sure I've read it in like a sub-pop spiel or whatever, but uh, time to go into it. Yeah, you'll like it. Here's one that's on the S.S. Tree, Ryan. I'm curious
1: if you know this record. High Confessionals, Turning Lead into Gold. That one might have escaped you because it's on a metal label, Relapse. Came out in 2010. Kind of a one-off super group. It's Chris Connolly from Ministry and all the related bands. Sanford Parker, who's played in dozens of great bands, including uh, one of my faves, uh, this industrial band called Corrections House that's kind of associated with Neurosis. He's also an engineer who's done tons of great records. Jeremy Limos, who uh, was in a project called White Light and had some records on Steve Shelley's Smells Like Records, and Steve Shelley is the drummer in the High Confessionals. Killer stuff. Oh, no, yeah, it's really killer. Kind of dark, industrial flavored post rock. You would like it too. It's really good. Okay. Okay. I mentioned this was coming. I think last week when I talked about God Bullies, I did the three seven-inch singles from Mike Hards. I think this was his band after God Bullies, bullies or maybe before. They're called Hand Over Head. Do you know them? Oh, I do. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure you do.
0: I was thinking this the uh, the H section could be called How do I not know these records <laughs> already? Because I'm finding that like every every week, it's uh, there's like six other bands or records I need to check out. So I'm digging it. But I know Hand Over Head or anything, my card. I'm sure you do because
1: you're usually all over that early 90s amphetamine reptiles vibe which oh, yeah. this definitely has. Okay, here's one I'm I'd be surprised if you've heard cuz it's an indie release like self-released, but you will like this too, Ryan. The band's called The Hidden and the record's called Winged Wolves. We've talked about this guy before, Kevin Grant. I'm pretty sure it was our friend Michael T Fournier who hipped us to his band Gaskill from New Bedford, Massachusetts. They, they're they the band that covered my war. Yes. This is a great record, The Hidden. They have a few, but the one I, I've been listening to is called Winged Wolves. It's recorded by, by Albini. It's great, noisy, post-rock. You can find it on Bandcamp. You'll like it for sure. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, here's a, a band. I read a review of this when it came out in 2014. Hateful Abandon. Liars Bastards is the name of the record they haven't done anything since they have a few prior to that that I need to track down because I really like this album it's kind of industrial music in the killing joke vein with a bit of a an amoebics crust punk vibe to it it's really good here's a record Ryan that I'm curious if you've heard of the bands called Head First. The record's called *The Enemy*. It came out in 1990. No idea where I heard of this record, or how it got on my phone. Uh, it's their only album. It's really cool, kind of riffy hardcore. Great playing, not unlike maybe the Bad Brains at times. Okay. It's really good. Here's one on the ss tree, *Hotel Wrecking City Traders*. It's a 12-inch 12-inch EP that came out in 2011. They're an Australian psych rock band, but on this one, Gary R.C. plays on it. He's been in a zillion bands, including the Sword of Quartet. He's currently, of course, in Yawning Man. House of Large Sizes, Ryan. Yeah. Yes. Cedar Falls, Iowa. Yes. Glass Cockpit is the record I listen to. Toxic Shock. I've been listening to a lot of stuff on Toxic Shock ever since we yeah. talked about that label. So. How about... This-
0: have you have you been checking out uh, one of my faves on there? I think I think they're on there, and they had a record on Alternative Tentacles, The Inbred. The Inbred? Oh, with T H. Yeah, The Inbred. Yeah.
1: I know them through Alternative Tentacles, but I haven't yeah. been checking them out. I'm
0: I'm pretty sure they've got something on Toxic Shock as well, and uh, I've always liked them. But House of Large Sizes, love them. Angular, jangly college rock. Yeah, awesome. it's really
1: good. I need awesome. to check out more of, of their stuff for sure. I'm pretty sure Jello released like an anthology of of that band, the Inbred. The Inbred, yep. yep. He sure did. Okay, Holy Barbarians. The album's called Cream. This is the band Ian Asbury formed in nineteen ninety-five after the first breakup of the cult.
0: Oh man, I do know this band. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Do you really? Yeah. I do, I totally do. I used to love the cult. Like I yeah. liked them right up to Sonic Temple. I put on electric a couple of times a year still because the guitar playing on that record is like second to none sometimes for me. Interesting tidbit for you,
1: Ryan. Do you know who played drums on the Holy Barbarians record?
0: Uh, was it that Guns N' Roses guy at that time? No, no. It's uh, Wasn't that it, Guns N' Roses guy in the cult or something? Yeah, he was.
1: Uh, okay. And Velvet Revolver and... And all those other bands. I can't remember yeah. his name at the moment. So,
0: who is the drummer in The Holy Barbarians then? Scott Garrett, ex dag nasty. He played on Field Day. Oh, no way. Interesting. Yep. What does The Holy Barbarian sound like? I've never checked it out. It sounds like The Cult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's good.
0: It just doesn't have Billy Duffy on it. That's all. That's
1: right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The Hollow Men, Sinister Flower Gift. Not the Australian band, but the U.S. one. There, I was checking out a bunch of stuff on the Chicago la- label, Pravda. I think we've talked about them, that label on the podcast, too. I'm not sure why, though. It's a really good record. There's a song on there called Map of the Heavens, which is just killer. It's kind of got that 80s college rock sound, like something you'd find on Homestead. It's really good. Are you checking if you have it?
0: What's it called?
1: The Hollow Men, Sinister Flower Gift.
0: I'm pretty sure I have it. I just like it's way, way deep in the recesses of my memory. Yeah, it's um, really good. Yeah. Okay.
1: Hollabaloo, the great Boston punk band. I did the album Dead Serious, another to- toxic shock. shock. Yep. Shock, yep. There's a song on this record called Curse of Civilization that has the best sample I think I've ever heard on a record. Really? Yeah. I'm just gonna leave I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Ryan, Human Impact, I'm still loving that record. So good, right? Yeah. Brand new on Ipecac, well, a couple months old. I think I saw them described somewhere as cinematic post-industrial filth rock. Another supergroup, Jim Coleman and Phil Puello of Cop Shoot Cop, Chris Pravdika of Swans, and Chris Spencer of Unsane. Killer record. Top 10 material, probably, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, it's yeah. hard, It'll be hard to uh, hard to see them not make the top ten for one of us, anyways. Yeah. Um, they've put out a couple of plague singles as well, too, that you yeah. can stream and download and whatnot. Yeah, I've
1: checked them out too. They're good. Okay, speaking of Australian bands, the Hitmen. It is what it is. The great uh, radio Birdman associated associated group fronted by Johnny Canis. This is their second album, also featured Warwick Gilbert and Chris Mazuek of the Radio Birdman. All their albums are killer. If you can yep. find the, the CD reissues, they have all the singles, live stuff, etc. And they're all worth tracking down for sure.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, they're a great band for sure.
1: And the kings of the Aussie scene, Hoodoo Gurus. I did their last studio record, 2010's Purity of Essence. Almost all of their records are great, though. Love the Hoodoo Gurus. Okay, I did this record by a band called Hungry for What? And The War Goes On. Do you know them, Ryan? I don't. They have stuff on BYO. Um, They're a Swiss band. This this is their first record. Almost a bit of a clash thing going, lyrically and musically. I like the name. Yep, Hangman, Metallic IOU. I've talked about my love for the Hangmen a lot. This was their comeback record in the year 2000 and it rules just like all their stuff. Okay, Ryan, you'll appreciate this on a roll. I oh, did yeah. the, the merge compilation, which I think has everything or almost everything. I don't listen to this band nearly enough. I was digging it so hard this week and I'm actually leaving that one on my
0: phone. Ooh, yeah. I think that might be the first one you're keeping on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're great, man love that stuff. And and if you want to if you want while you're at it, throw in some Bastro while you're at it. Okay.
1: Well, I did the bees already, but maybe I'll just repeat this whole process when we come back around. Go back. If yeah. you're listening to Honor Roll, you got to go you got to flip flop with some Bastro. Okay. Hellworms Crowd Repellent, Alternative oh, yeah. Tentacles 1998, Another Great Ralph Spite Band, very indicative of some of the amazing weird stuff Jello was putting out in the mid to late 90s. Oh, yeah, like Ultra Bidet and yeah, Grotus, yep. stuff like that. Yep. Hair Apparent, this is not for you, Ryan. Graceful Inheritance, some proggy <laughs> power metal a la Queensryche, also from Seattle, like Queensryche. Uh, Halloween, more power metal, Keeper of the Seven Keys, part one. I've been listening to all these noise bands. That's the label, Ryan, uh, ever since I read the Damn the Machine, the Story of Noise Records book by David Gelke, which is really good. Helios Creed, Super Catholic Finger, his third solo record from 1989 on Subterranean Records, which is an under-discussed San Francisco label. They had tons of great records. Uh, I've talked about my appreciation for Chrome on the podcast before, and I also love Helios's solo stuff. Many great albums. This is as good a
0: place to start as any if people are interested. I feel like Subterranean is almost better known for its distro than its actual releases. Is that... Do you have that
1: impression? Yeah, you're probably right about that. Okay, Hair and Skin Trading Company. Do you know them, Ryan? No. Okay, you need to check them out. I read about them in one of the, I think it's the Great Alternative in Indie discography book by Martin C. Strong, one of those indispensable pre-discogs record guides. You betcha. A UK experimental rock band. This is their first one from 1992 called Joe in 9G Hell. Check them out. The Hair and Skin Trading Company. I'll be curious to see if you like them. They're really good. Will do. Hawkwind, Ryan. Do you listen to Hawkwind?
0: I, you know, I think I've I've needed a guided tour and never really had one because I know that there are like I seem to recall reading from time to time like their first three or four records and the ones with Lemmy or whatever on them that are like legendary. Records, um, and I'm sure you like every single album, but apparently the first three or four are killer. And I, I've I've dipped my toe in, and it hasn't hasn't really sunk in yet. Yeah, well, you you are right. The Lemmy era stuff is the
1: the place to start for sure. Uh, this is my go to Hawkwind album, Warrior on the Edge of Time, 1975. And finally, Ryan, if you take nothing else from me, this podcast for recommends <laughs> take this one. The, <laughs> It's the new Hedvig Malastad Trio record on one of my favorite labels, Rune Gramophone, which I've talked about, I'm sure, many times on the podcast. It's the follow-up to their 2018 record, Smells Funny. This one is just called... You know what? I'm not even trying to pronounce it. It's in Norwegian, but uh, you'll find it on Rune Gramophone's website. It's so killer. She's just an absolute shredder. It's probably She's probably my currently my favorite guitarist on the planet, and... It's just great stuff. Wow! Instrumental, skronk and jazz rock, with just ripping guitar playing. Okay. That's it. That's
0: the H section, aka how do I not know about this stuff? How do I how do I not know these records? There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I think next week will be I and I need to check out these records. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> sure, man. Okay. okay,
1: sorry for taking over the spiels there. What do you that's, have?
0: That's okay. Uh, I want to get to Mr. California here as fast as possible, so I'm going to give you some uh, some speed spiels, okay? All right. Speed spiels. I finished that Grateful Dead doc. I, I just wanted to let you know that I finished it and that I still don't really like the Grateful <laughs> Dead, but but it was a great documentary, and I have a, a, a greater appreciation for them, and and you can tell that they're... You know, there were some real moments um, from them that uh, are, are quite exceptional. Like, you know, that live version of Morning Dew or whatever, and that, that song Althea and stuff. Like, there's some amazing moments. Some of the other stuff is like, it's just, eh, I could go right by it's it. It's not I don't for know. everybody, for sure. Yeah. One thing I did watch that, you know, was kind of in that era, I suppose, maybe predating it a bit, but was excellent i really enjoyed it and it was i think it was almost four hours long was the crosby stills nash and young documentary on amazon oh. it was i really really enjoyed that and reminded me that um i i really enjoy those manassas records and i gotta go back good. they are yeah yeah i gotta go and check those out again but i didn't know about I, this documentary yeah, I still I still like my CSN, Why I can't help it. And a uh, great documentary. But you got to sit in. You got to watch it over a couple of nights. Yeah. Um, but I watched another rock doc, and and this one I watched because I, I'm always interested in anything any kind of rock doc. I'll probably check out anyone. Um, but I thought you'd be proud of me because I watched Murder in the Front Row. Oh. Which, which is the South Bay Metal documentary. Yeah. And I haven't uh, even seen that. Yeah, well, you should be really proud of me then. Um, Anyways, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't like any of that music or listen to any of those bands, but it's, it's interesting. And um, I guess like you know the personalities and the, uh, the camaraderie in that scene and those bands. It was really well done. I really liked it. Uh, It's a great, it's a great watch. And if you're a fan of the music, you know you'll love it. Did Did Metallica participate in it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's there's like Slayer, Anthrax, and then all those deep cut, Exodus, hair metal testament. Yeah, all yeah. all those ones that like you would know that I was kind of like whatever, but not a Bay Area band. But does Overkill get a mention at all? I can't even remember. I'm pretty sure they did, like on a flyer or something. Not a not a not a deep mention though. I'm talking about SST Overkill, by the way, in case everybody's confused about. I don't mean the New Jersey thrash band. No, 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 no. So um, I don't know. It might have flashed by. It didn't sink in. Hmm. I'll be honest. You you watch it. I'll and watch then you, for it because I got to watch that. Yeah, you watch it and then you take me to school, okay? Okay. Um, SST tribute comp alert spiel. Okay. This one is called "Damaged" by Dez. Hmm. Can you guess what it's about? <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a black flag tribute, but specifically. Uh, for Des Kadena era tracks. And it's a, uh, a single on Machete Records. It just came out. And um, it's on Machete Records, but on Discogs, it's listed, at, the record label is listed as Kadena Records and Cylinders. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I can't find it on like a Bandcamp page, but I was able to order off, off of Discogs. Oh, good. And um, I'm going to check that out. It looks like it's modern hardcore bands doing des era black flag on a single so check that out wicked and then um can you remind me again how am i supposed to say podcast shout out shout out okay. you have a podcast shout out yeah i do oh, I, wow. I i listen to like <laughs> i listen to two podcasts a year and uh, <laughs> and this one this one I, I had to listen to. Um, it was actually a vinyl guide episode, but Colin Newman from Wire was on. Hmm. And it was awesome. Like I just I just loved it. I loved listening to Colin talk about the band, um, how they've evolved EMI back in the late 70s and Harvest, um, how they viewed themselves in the punk. World, um, their influence that they were aware of and that they were not aware of. Um, also, the the music business, like the record business, um, and and the host hardly had to say anything. Um, Colin just uh, spoke and spoke, and I mean his <laughs> his his voice sounds like you know the when someone is singing in wire. So I also loved it for that reason, yeah. but um, I I just. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. And that's a definite recommend for anyone who is mildly a fan of Wire because he talks about the catalog and how they've reissued it and all the special editions and all that stuff. Their new albums, uh, Mindhive and 1020, it was just a real treat to listen to that one. That's my spiels, man. Wicked. I will check that out for sure. Yeah, loved it. Now, Brant, shall we visit the secret Marines or shall we not let's peek into the devil's secret health files. How about
1: that? <laughs> you sleazeball history lesson part one.
0: All right, man. You know, we love the zoogs. Um, how should we start this off? I actually have another spaceman spiel here too, uh, to sprinkle throughout when the, when the time permits, uh, we could go right to Mr. California cause you guys cover the album so well. What, what do you want to do here? Okay, you hit me with some Spaceman, and then I'm going to hit you with a Zoogs quote. Okay. So this is out of the uh, a later era SST catalog, where they he's got, <laughs> like, every single Zug's Rift album has got an individual spiel next to it. I can't believe I only realize this now, but here's the one for Water 2 at a Safe Distance. Here we go. Water 2 is Zug's own Siddhartha. Giving the world the secrets of the liquid Moamo and the resultant happiness that he can bring to your life is the greatest gift that can be given. Buy into the dream and listen to these 11 cuts of liquid magic. Okay, Ryan, why don't you...
1: You have the record in front of you? I do. Why don't you tell us who all played on it so we can have some context going into the interview okay can you read it can you read the back of that
0: record well as you guys mentioned in the interview it is not easy (laughs) because the the font color is like orange over top of what appears to be some sort of rag and and it's really really tiny or something so it's hard to read but i'll try my best here bear with me so zoogs of course is uh, vocals and guitars. Mr. California, Craig Unkrich on keys. Willie Lappin on bass guitar. Mark Crawford, drums. Jack Brewer is on vocals. Uh, Mark Mylar on sax. E. Bentley O'Brien on electric bass guitar. Alan Carl Eugster on violin. John Van Zelm Truby on mini Moog. Aaron T-Bar Rift on vocals and toy piano. Matt Carlson, The Spirit With No Name. Ooh.
1: All right, that's it. Here's a, here's a Zook's quote, Ryan. This was, to date, the most difficult album to play and record, but I had a lot of fun with it because this particular lineup of musicians was so talented that it made the whole thing more exciting. The thing I like most about this record is that Really, more than the other older records, this one holds up after endless repeat
0: listenings. Yeah, you could make a case that this one is actually one of the most straight-ahead Zoogs albums. You could make that case. Well, that's kind of what you'll hear
1: in the interview. I I talk about it as a guitar-based record, and that's kind of what I was getting
0: at, I think. Yeah, it definitely has some craziness, some zaniness, but... um, like, prolonged rhythmic rockers, this one might have the most on it so far. Yeah. Let's throw it over to Craig.
1: All right, we're joined again for part two on the podcast with Mr. California, Craig Unkrich. Craig, thanks for being on the show. You bet. All right, so we're talking about the Zoog's Rift album Water 2 at a Safe Distance. We're coming out of, technically speaking, I suppose... Water 1, although we've had a bunch of reissues in there if we're going uh, in the history of the podcast. What can you tell me about the period of time between Water and Water 2?
2: Well, I was just thinking about that. Uh, There were some changes, I think, I recall, who broke up the band, which he often did, uh, and there was a slightly different configuration of it between water one and water two that never did anything maybe had one rehearsal but it, the water two was a very different band Ed, um from, from, from uh from the first water and and personnel there were some very different and and in my opinion um changes for the better in terms of personnel at least in terms of making this record not necessarily long term for the band there wasn't really much going on there was a, a much going on at all um other than like i said that brief uh reconfiguration of the band or no no shows uh anything like that okay going
1: on no richie haas this time we i don't think we've seen a zoogs album without richie
2: well there's several reasons for that I, I don't think he's on yeah i guess he's not on here at all he does but he did eventually come back so zoogs didn't get along with, with rich's wife uh ah. Okay. and it kind of, it kind of came to a, a, a situation where well if my wife's not welcomed then, then let us just let, let's just stay uh uh stay stay at safe distance as it were okay. uh not not to uh That's not to fair. Be too silly but um they I mean, obviously smoothed things over because Rich came back for water three and and was quite played quite a prominent role in that. Uh, but but yeah, they were they were evidently not on the best of terms. Uh, I would guess because he he has appeared on every other album er, er, at least in some minimal uh, capacity, except you're right, yeah, this one he's nowhere to be found.
1: Okay, let's if we can go through the tracks, and I'll maybe get your your thoughts on them and ask you some some specific questions if that's all right.
2: Sure, and I'm I'm glad I, I dug out that old uh, preliminary. Um, it's basically the art that go, that's on the back of the cover, which I realize now at age uh, 55, I can't read. I, I couldn't read it very well what it was. He, he made things deliberately difficult to read.
1: I've noticed. I don't know
2: why. <laughs> <It's> he, not... <laughs> he, he just uh, he, he thought that that was amusing somehow. And I could, as a young man, I could I could actually make it out. I can't now, so I've got. I'm right in front of the computer, and I can I can tell you with much more accuracy you know, what's going on with that. So yeah, you can go go
1: through uh, however you want to do it. Okay, well, we'll start with track one, side one, ball. We've got Mark Crawford on drums. He also played drums on the Scott Colby Slide of Hand record. Uh, he played drums on the Everett Shock record that we're going to get to at some point. Was he a member of NAME? What can you tell me about Mark Crawford?
2: Well, I went looking uh, for an answer to that question because I didn't uh, get a chance to really know him. We didn't you know we didn't do anything to support this record. And so I went looking and I can't I, I, I think he had some participation on a a, a couple of Henry Kaiser projects maybe mm-hmm. uh, and and was I mean he's certainly a, 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 a competent musician. And I didn't even know about the Scott Colby thing until you, you uh, reminded me. But I, I honestly don't know what else he's done. Uh, I don't even know how I don't know how Zooks came across him. Perhaps through the association with Scott Colby, that, that would be my guess. But other than that, no, I don't. Uh, I don't know, and I, and I also don't understand why. I, 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 see again, I can't see the back, directly <laughs> So what I'm looking at here was a preliminary track listing. So I don't know if Matt Carlson is listed. As participating in sleaze ball or not, but to my knowledge, he did not um, okay. provide vocals on that. But but he could have. He could, I, I just I don't remember him doing it. Mark Mylar sax. I don't. Is, is there any sax on that song? I, I don't recall it. Hmm. Again, uh, it, it could be that that was fixed before the record came out. But it it uh, Ziggs thought it was was one of the strongest uh, songs on the on the record, and encouraged that to be what people. Used to 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 promote the uh, record and and um, thought a lot of it and as as do I.
1: He was hoping sleazeball would be the one that would maybe like the single.
2: I believe, yeah. He he would have uh, wanted that to be the single, yes.
1: Okay. Uh, track two, Halloween. We see Jack Brewer for the first time on a Zug's Rift yeah. record. How did that happen?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, as I understand, Zouk asked him if he wanted to. Uh, Participate on, on 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 the record and doing some vocal stuff, and I guess Jukes was. I mean, uh, Jack was thrilled and even mentioned something about other musicians. He friends of his he had that would also. It's like Juggs said, no, "No, it's it's okay. We 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 got enough, but so, we would like you." So right. uh, he, uh, he he did participate and and is prominent in, in Halloween. Halloween the the original melody to that was a a, a quasi classical thing that Jiggs came up with and was real proud of because I remember when he first came up with it before it was even a song it was just a riff he had and he really liked it and he wanted to use it so so we did on this and, and um, yeah it's one of my favorite cuts uh, on, on the record yeah. uh, I'm playing um, uh, Mark's cheesy little chord synthesizer uh, used for several songs on this record I'm not exactly sure why uh, the Mirage is used on about the other half um, and yeah, this one has the chord. Yeah, yeah, great rhythm section. Yeah. Uh, I can't I can't uh, speak.
1: Yeah, remind me again where Willie came from.
2: Well, he was a friend of Scott Colby, and when uh, Ziggs got the opportunity to do his first real album on a signed label, which was Island of the Living Puke, he invited everybody to participate, and Scott Colby was, was one of them. Not that he hadn't you know, participated in the past as well, right. but and then Willie sort of came with him because they were in a band together called Pressure, which was sort of a, a uh, new wave-ish type. Uh, they wanted a commercial success. It was that uh, avant-garde uh, mm-hmm. by any means. And they were in a band together, and uh, and, and so that's sort of how he really came uh, along, I think, by way of, of Scott Colby. Interesting. And um, where, that's where he showed up.
1: Would Scott have been playing like, his trademark slide guitar in, in this band Pressure, or was it was it a different style?
2: I, I'm sure it was slide guitar because I don't believe he's played any other kind of guitar except slide. Mm. Uh, but I don't. But it but it was not like I say it was not a cutting cutting edge type experimental thing. It was very straightforward, uh, commercial oriented, uh, new wave type stuff.
1: Okay,
2: uh, which is probably why they didn't stay with it very long.
1: I'm going to let you say the title of the next track
2: well it's 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 mud okay and i i i think it somehow fits in with the whole sort of hawaiian theme of uh of um what is it
1: the secret marines must uh, die
2: <laughs> yeah yeah the secret marines must die what are you talking about the the, the lulu uh, sure was a lulu and and uh Oh, yeah, and it even mentions Bagulu in the lyrics. That's right. I, I don't know where the word came from. I think it's another nonsensical word that he came up with. Uh, and, and I don't know anything more about it than that. I, I don't think it ever appeared on any other records than this, or that word.
1: The liner notes for the record they thank Miss Bagulu for beaver shots. Do you, do you know what that means? Do I even.
2: Oh, Oh well, well, wait a minute. Now I I, I I recall something about beaver shots, but I don't remember what it meant. <laughs> pull that out. I got the, anyway.
1: maybe I don't want to know.
2: I I think that that's fiction <laughs> because there was no Ms McGrewie. That Mimigoolie had no relation, in, uh, to my knowledge, to anyone in, in actual reality. I think it, I think it was just you know, trying to be funny. I I I, I guess that's, I could do that. Okay.
1: I peaked in the devil's secret hellfires.
2: Yeah, which used to be a great song. Uh, uh, no offense. Uh, I, it, it, the lyrics are, are the same uh, as what was used in the nineteen, I guess, seventy-eight version with his old band, the Micromastodons, uh, which was almost entirely Eric Williams's um, music. Um, but this is a, a, an entirely different. Version of that song, and the only thing in common really is the lyrics. the the, the music, it's got it got two things in it. It's got a, a Frank Rapper quote and a Captain Beefheart quote. And I remember sitting sitting around in uh, one one afternoon before rehearsal, playing that Beefheart. And I don't remember the the song is is it's off of Trout nice Replica. And there's a the, the song is full of little riffs little snippets, and then he'll uh uh frank uh, i mean um, uh don will recite some words and then there'll be another uh, uh bit of words and one of those he isolated and we learned and it took us all practically half the afternoon to learn it and that's in 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 i p okay. um and 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 then uh the, the matt Carlson does his uh return uh, the, the obnoxious uh, teenager and um uh which we heard on, on I of the Living Puke. Yeah, yeah, the Korg I mean the uh the, the Mirage does the pipe organ sample and the uh metallic some other sort of metallic thing uh sample. And, and and I believe it's a stand Willie's really playing a stand up bass also okay. in there.
1: Now, speaking of Matt Carlson, you mentioned an outtake from this session where they do a skit where he gets killed by the, well, by the band. Yeah, and I,
2: I thought that it was uh, uh, something really rare because it was on the CDR that Zooks made of, of the record. Um, he included it. it it's it, it was just this, uh, but but come to find out, it's actually on Spotify right now. Laura, Laura released it along with Water Two, and it's all it is is a skit that we recorded in Zooks' apartment where we rehearsed, and it was. I think it was almost all just lies. Uh, Matt, Matt may have been downstairs to be separate from the band, who was who was there uh, to kill him. I remember Alan Yekster ordered uh, he wanted a blender from the from the kitchen to you to make it cause to make it sound like you know, all hell was breaking loose when when we went to attack Matt. Uh, for for doing no more than just being obnoxious, uh, say you know, t- t- telling Ziggs uh, that uh, I was going to buy your last album, but I, I read that it was a, it just sounded like a cheap, pale imitation of Captain Beefheart, so I got Firehose instead, which is of course, if you want to infuriate Ziggs, that's precisely. The thing right. say. Um,
1: <laughs> and this track actually has kind of a who's who of previous Zugs records. It's got well. You, E. Bentley O'Brien, John Truby, Alan Hughster who you just mentioned, Zug's son, Aaron T Bar Rift?
2: Yeah, yeah. None of none of uh, none of Aaron's stuff was Actually recorded uh, in real time. I mean, that was just stuff that he had banged away on the toy piano at three o'clock in the morning, and Ziggs happened to record it and, and included on the record all the and the and the baby talk and the, and all the other stuff. In fact, a lot of the stuff I listen back to this, and there's so many flaws in in the uh, the recording that it's it's hard to tell sometimes what zig snuck in there that I didn't realize that that may have been like Aaron talking or playing the piano or maybe just some sort of, of anomaly with the recording. I'm, I'm never quite sure. It's, it's kind of a, a an odd record in terms of flaws. Go, there, there are some flaws in there that I just can't quite explain. And it's not quite clear to me where Aaron is in, in or out, but, but the, uh, the toy piano definitely was him. Uh, and yeah, the, the, he, he, uh, he invited just about everybody except Richass to well, maybe he did invite Richas, I don't know. But um yeah, everybody was did something on this right. record.
1: I'm curious if some of this song perhaps is maybe autobiographical as far as like the temp agency having him clean offices.
2: Oh, oh, oh. Well, um actually that I don't think so much. I, I think that was more just a setup of of clean, of, of peaking in the, the devil's secret hell files a, a guy working in an office, but the rest of it in terms of the charging a thousand dollars at the Chevron station for preventive maintenance while all the while deliberately destroying my car that is autobiographical <laughs> because when Zekes went on the uh the, the tour the u s tour he he put a whole bunch of money in fact this is a this is a, uh, uh something I brought up after the Podcast when when uh, Ed O'Brien was talking, nothing against Ed, but he said something to indicate that Ziggs hadn't really cared all that much about the vehicle, wasn't interested in cars, and therefore that contributed to the car uh, having to be sold in Texas. When in fact, Ziggs spent quite a lot of money. Over well over a thousand dollars, having preventive maintenance done at the Chevron station, and uh, to and and to I'm sure to his death, Ziggs believed that it was they deliberately tried to destroy the car. Uh, his, to him, that was the only rational explanation. So that part's uh, biographical. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, the stuff about John Truby and the shit job at the hardware store. Yeah, I mean John Truby did work at Roscoe Hardware uh, for for many years and. Uh, he would always talk about his shit job at the hardware store, and that was it. Um, and there's probably a few other references to stuff that actually happened in reality, but the file clerk, I think, not, not so much. I okay. don't think.
1: And then we end side one with kind of a rare cover. Walk, don't run. Did you did you do a lot of covers, like when you played live stuff that maybe didn't get recorded, or was it? Rare? No,
2: not really. We did we did play this live uh, prior to Water Two. When, when, we did shows for Water One. We, we uh, at the very end, we played it. Uh, and for some reason, he wanted to. Uh, well, uh, pretty much every album after this, he he um, he included more covers. And uh, I'm not exactly sure why he started at this point to do it, but he he liked Walk Don't Run, and he liked the other cover tune uh, on this album. I think it was just the two. And In fact, he planned for a third one. I'm looking at it now, which, ne- which we never rehearsed and never, never did. Yeah. And, and he, he I know he liked the Ventures uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably how that came about.
1: What was the third one?
2: The third one was a thing called Superman by, um, well, it, it says in parentheses, a Ned, Ned Callan composition, but I sent you something in an email and I, I think it's, Tom Newman or Tim Newman is the artist mm-hmm. or um, that actually performed it and made it somewhat famous. It's a it's sort of a reggae sounding tune. And I learned that thing and I was re- ready to teach it to the band. This was the, the old band, but back in 1986. So the, and Ziggs put the kibosh on it, but then wanted to do it for this record and then, and then decided against it again. So I don't know. All I remember is learning the song and uh, then we just never rehearsed it. So I don't know what what happened there, but it uh, just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't materialize.
1: Okay. There's a little snippet at the start of this Walk, Don't Run song that says, Celebrity Voices Impersonated. Is that a sample?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it, no, it, it's, there was a commercial going around at the time on uh, local television, and they apparently, as a disclaimer, had to, had to put that in uh-huh. at the beginning, saying... Celebrity voices impersonated, and there was one that had sort of a very shrill female voice, not unlike his wife Laura. So that's her imitating this, this disclaimer to these commercials that were quite common in the LA area uh, at that time. So it's sort of a, a you know, gotcha. inside joke okay. kind of thing.
1: All right, flip it over, and we're we're meeting the secret Marines again. This time, the secret Marines must die. Interestingly. Mark's drums sound a little flat on this one. Do you know what that's about?
2: Well, yeah, there's there's a reason for that. Uh, it was, I believe it was recorded on a, on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, and his drum set was stolen the night before. Oh. And all he could scrape together to bring to the recording session was a bass drum and a snare. I don't think he had even any cymbal or hi-hat. <laughs> and why why they decided to I, I guess because the song is just so weird that it was the only song that we could get away with not having a real drum set i mean if there were any other songs i'm sure would have insisted that we put it off right. until he could get a proper drum set but I, maybe because the song is just so demented he thought why not just go with go with the minimal drum set but that that's the explanation behind that
1: this is the song that's got more of the the weird vocals. Do you know what the mouthful of chompers is all about? <laughs> uh no, I
2: don't. Uh, I suspect several of these refer back to Abbott and Costello. Okay. Uh, I know that. I know that uh, the Bingo's Fada, which is a different song, I know, but but, but that relates to that. And the mouthful of chompers. Yeah, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say that. But I really, I, I really couldn't say. Um, what that refers to?
1: Okay, then we've got sweet nausea lick. <laughs> Again, any idea what he's talking about here? He sounds like he's almost singing in like a patois voice or something. Accent. Well,
2: yeah, that was we 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 uh we've got to go find Bingo's father. Yeah, Bingo's fada, That was the routine that Abbott, Abbott Costello did where where he got the. But he's sneaking in all this other stuff about AIDS and just just all of this really demented. Uh, which is uh, all of the secret Marines uh, um, have, have that in common because they're all supposed to be witnessed from the viewpoint of a of a retarded child. So, um a, you know I don't think you can even say that, you know, I mean supposed to say that now, but but uh, uh it was legit at the time. But the base the whole basis of it was that, that Adam Costello sketch. But and then Willie's playing an upright uh an upright bass, and and in the background is is uh, Carl uh, uh analog synthesizers.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even
2: on that,
1: yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Then we've got an interesting but cool cover of Alice Cooper's "Caught in a Dream." Now, yeah. John Truby told us this pretty far out story about I believe it's Herb Cohen suing SST, and John Truby gets caught up in it. And it has to do with, I think it started over publishing for Alice Cooper covers on SST. So I'm I'm curious if you know anything about that.
2: Well, I heard the John Truby interview and I thought that they sued SST over the one song that Truby had writing credit on, which was When My Ship Rolls In, which was On Water 3. And I don't know of any other Alice Cooper cover on any other SST album other than this one.
1: Do you? Yeah, there's been a few. There's uh, oh, there have yeah, Sonic Youth cover them on a uh, one of the Love Dolls soundtracks, and Blast has covered them.
2: Maybe he was able to leverage some trouble that they were having with Alice Cooper's people in order to get money out of them for his song. But I never, I've never heard of any legal trouble with SST and. And, uh, um, and Alice Cooper. Although it is curious that, the, that that's the one song Laura decided to leave off of the streaming version of the album was this rehearsal of, of um, uh, Caught in a Dream because she just is very frightened of using cover uh, tunes unless she absolutely has to because of the legal process. Uh, Problems that could ensue hmm. and and so it would make sense that she left that off but no i i've not heard anything about that that's interesting hmm. and i don't remember anybody giving us any trouble the only, the only trouble we ever got that i can remember about covers was when we played a club and it didn't allow covers and we did walk don't run and they practically shut down the set uh as a result of it because they, they, they were so offended yes. but uh the caught in the dream no that was uh a song that Zoog's really liked and I don't think it sounds anything like the original of uh, whether that's good or bad is up to somebody else. But I, I sure enjoyed
1: it. All right. I can't do this with you looking at me. Would stuff like this have had sheet music or would this have just been something you, you wrote at practice? I'm curious.
2: No, the, the, the chord the, the, the chord structures that the band was playing Zoogs just taught to really William Mark on, on, on guitar. Uh, my part is completely improvised. It, it's, um, there was no guidelines at all. I don't, I think I, I don't, in fact, it's one of the only songs where you just say, play whatever you want. That's pretty, pretty unusual. Okay. Yeah, that's all it is. Um,
1: Strictly El Segundo. We've got Ed on guitar here. E Bentley O'Brien.
2: Well, yeah, for, for better or for worse. Um, I really, I know it's a, some sort of personality disorder, but I keep sneaking in these digs and I, I I like it. I just talked to him the other day uh as a matter of fact but um that's sort of it was a staple uh, it, it he originally recorded it with the micro gastodons in the late seventies and then it was uh, a, a standard at, at uh, shit early shithead shows and he decided to record it again, and I thought this. Uh, recording was 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 uh, a pretty good uh, maybe not as good as the Micromastodons, but pretty darn good i thought
1: it seems like it's maybe like a, more of a guitar based record than some of the others we've heard. do you know if that was a conscious decision that Zoogs would have made
2: i i would I would have thought that they're all guitar based because pretty much everything comes down to Zoog's teaching the band what to play from from his guitar uh in almost I mean, yeah, there other exceptions but yeah i guess you could say that uh certainly it, it sounds more rock and roll than water
1: maybe, water, that's, yeah, maybe so. that's what i mean yeah,
2: yeah it's hard what water was like uh um i mean water too was sort of what, what water maybe should have been it, it it uh it sounds a lot in my mind it's a lot more mature and a lot more rock and roll and a lot more listenable than, than water not not as not as avant-garde maybe but uh um yeah there's a lot of a lot of guitar a lot of guitar stuff going on there
1: yeah and then we end with the title track water two is the do you know this is just zug's solo and it's, it says flashback sequence zr's the Candyman. do you know what that is
2: well because i think uh and, and this this is where my research for this uh interview falls short i think there's two versions of water Two. one of them is just playing the guitar and that's what wound up on the record and then there was this other version which included like i don't know if you've heard there's a song called it doesn't water end i think water ends with a song called water and it's a bunch of uh sort of a, a collage of, of of old synthesizer yeah. tracks and yeah. stuff and i think he did the same thing with water Two, but didn't include it on the record and instead uh, include, uh, just did his solo guitar thing. So the, the ZR's Candyman thing, that has nothing to do with the version of Water 2 that wound up on, on, on vinyl. Okay. Um, and I've got a version of this, the one that the other version someplace, um, but I didn't listen to it before the interview, so sorry about that. Um,
1: do you know if there's a reason why he chose to call this Water 2?
2: Yeah, the, the stuff that did didn't rely on other musicians to do he didn't really talk about much right. cuz he didn't need to so th- th- this stuff came out as a surprise to, to 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 us and we probably just never went back and asked him about it
1: Richard Ford SST employee is listed as the production coordinator do you know why he would have gotten that credit any idea
2: uh maybe something to do with the graphics on on the, uh, the album that would just that would just be a, a guess because production, there, there was nobody involved that I know of in the, in, in the production of the sound, except for Mark Mylar, the engineer. Okay. Uh, it, this was all, all done at, at Mark's uh, studio. And uh, the, I would have re- remembered if there was a stranger in there for that. Um, so production, he, I think he's probably talking about print production, but I, I wouldn't swear to it. I don't, I'm not, really not sure. I'm just guessing.
1: Okay. Underneath that, it says... You lay one little finger on little Joe, and I'll kill you. <laughs> Any... Oh
2: well, little little Joe, little Joe is Michael Landon from Bonanza, right? Okay. Well, I, I I'm not a Bonanza fan, but <laughs> but uh, it, it it goes back to Water One, where in in, in uh, I'll rip your brains out. He keeps talking about little Joe, little Joe. Well, that's little Joe is, I, I, as I recall it, the, the the Michael Landon's character on Bonanza, and so he carried that little Joe thing under here. I, I don't know why he thinks people would care, but but yeah, he had a thing about little Joe.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, you mentioned it was recorded by Mark at Trigon in June slash July 1987. What do you recall about the sessions?
2: Well, there, there was a mysterious gap of, of, of about 10 days between the sessions uh, and it wasn't clear whether I was going to make some of the Later recording sessions because I I had some some personal business I had to take care of, and I I remember um, everything pretty much went on schedule according to the the, the the schedule that I have that I that I was looking to just before you called, um, but Zidz it, it, controlled all of the. That sort of thing, and and he dictated to us how it was going to be. And and of course, if anybody had a problem, he would listen to them and and and, and make adjustments. But uh, why he came up with that schedule the way that he did, I honestly don't know.
1: Do you want to talk about the situation that you mentioned in the email, or?
2: Well, it's it's only only in the only in the sense that it's funny. I think that when a guy is in a position where he 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 uh, is. Uh, has just sold his entire record collection in within a matter of about three weeks uh and and i mean we 're talking a serious record collection and and who uh is, is having trouble with um, money um because of his uh drug problem uh, and is is told that he he really ought to get himself into some sort of rehab this is nineteen eighty seven we 're talking about right. And so I tried to do the responsible thing and it just, whether it happened to coincide with this brief gap uh, in the recording sessions or whether it was, it was deliberate that Zub's did that way to make r- room for me to go to rehab. I honestly don't remember, but I remember I told it, I, I, I had it all set up. I mean, he never railroaded me into it. It had nothing to do with the band pressuring me. It was more of a parental thing because I lived with my parents at the time. And he said, you know, the, 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 uh the one in Burbank, it's just a, one floor of a hospital. You want to really go to the one in Santa Barbara. I didn't know there was one in Santa Barbara. He had researched that because he likes Santa Barbara. He said, yeah, I'll take you out there. And I'll drive you out. So I think that was uh, – he, and he convinced me. And so, yeah, I went to it in Santa Barbara. And the plan was that they were going to record um, the, the, the Secret Marines Must Die without me, and then my part would be added later, but once I found out that I was being charged $1,000 a day to be hooked up to a 9-volt battery, I I tended to feel better real quick, (laughs) and I I got myself out of there, and that's why I was able to make the recording session on schedule. That's kind of how that went.
1: Okay.
2: We're talking aversion therapy. It's not not, uh, 12-step. Right. They're, they're very very and, and apparently they're still doing it uh and and getting away with it so yeah yeah it's, it's not a fun uh time in my life to recall but it is uh, what it is and it did affect the, the band profoundly in, in ways much more profoundly later on uh, that uh you probably won't get an opportunity to ask me about which is just as well um but uh yeah it it uh had been an issue as well as other things with me. I mean, I was, a, I was, I was a bit of a troublemaker.
1: It says on the back, a special thanks to all you assholes out there. Yes. That probably includes you for giving me so much material to write about. Keep up the good work. That's, <laughs> that's pretty classic zoo. Well,
2: sure. he, 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 he has referred to himself as a, as a misanthrope and he doesn't like people or he, or he actually hates them. And, but I, I would, I would always, I find it hard to reconcile that uh, when I first met him and we would talk on the phone, we would talk on the phone without exaggeration, uh, sometimes over three hours at a time. And I'm saying, how, how can this guy say that he hates the human race when he's spending all his time on the phone with me? And it, it was a really um, sort of, I, I guess, sort of duplicitous on this, that he, he did hate the human race, but he liked people. He liked individuals, right. certain individuals. But people as a whole, he thought, were assholes, and honestly believed that the human race is doomed, and that uh, we will not get through this alive, uh, and, and that people are assholes. Right? He 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 really believed that.
1: Well, he may he may have been right.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think most likely, uh, yes. Uh, but but that doesn't. But, but he was always very kind to individuals. He he was always very fair to them. He didn't. Treat them with the kind of contempt that you might think, given his predisposition, this sort of predisposition towards not liking the human race. It's, on a macro level, he did like people. On a micro level, he, he was okay until they gave him reason to not, for him to not like them, and that, then, then then he would stop. But uh, as long as they were nice to him, he he was a he was a very nice man.
1: Okay, I believe around this time he started writing his datagrams. Do it. What can you tell yeah. me about those
2: well they they were sort of intended to be a kind of a press release type of thing, but he 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 would get into uh a lot of a lot of some more stuff than any uh legitimate press person would ever wanna wanna try to put out and a lot of it was very entertaining and and some of it not so much I think he did a got an eight or ten page uh one on the, the critical importance of Ayn Rand which I enjoyed but probably not not uh, very many others did. Uh and it was it was just something that he did there for a while uh and I that may have even been happening in between Water 1 and Water 2 and when, when there was no musical stuff going on because cause he did tend to always stay busy. Right. So I think I have still got them all they they were uh, a lot of a lot of entertaining stuff in there.
1: And this photo on the cover, this would have been taken during this time period, or is what is? I
2: is, believe that was Raji's uh, April nineteen, or oh, I'm sorry, May nineteen eighty six. Okay. Uh, and I don't know why I remember that, but uh, yeah, I think mean, it's put through that, that sort of effect. And yeah, that's how that's how he looked. Uh, he put on, he put on a little more weight at that point than when he returned uh, as. The, you know out of the uh, the incubation period uh, that he referred to so he was just starting to get heavy again but but not too heavy that he couldn't put his foot up on a chair like he like he is in the photo uh, I and mean, then he started to gain a lot more weight after that unfortunately
1: yeah he is still known as the liquid moamo at this phase
2: moamo yeah the, the, as I as I understand it the, that word and, and another one which will come to me in a few minutes, were basically failed attempts at solving a crossword puzzle when you've got everything lined up and you think you know what the word is, and then when it finally gets all filled in, you realize that going one direction, it doesn't make any sense. But in every other direction, you think it does. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're left, you're left with the word Moamo, and you don't know what to do with it, uh, and that's where Moamo came from, ah. as, as I was told. Okay. And yeah, he called himself the Liquid Moamo uh, uh, towards towards the end. Pretty much even through his wrestling uh, career, uh, the the um, the adversary to to his uh, the warlord that he was managing would refer to him as the Liquid Muhammad uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I guess people thought that was funny. But uh, yeah, he, he called himself the Liquid Moamo.
1: Now the band's still called the Shitheads at this point. I think this might be the last time, though. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the band changed its name actually to non entity. They this. changed it. They changed it. and I don't know whether he intended that to be a permanent change or not. Uh
2: the t- calling it non non entity. But no, he did uh, go go back to using the amazing shitheads uh almost immediately after that record. So I, I, I can't say whether he only intended to change the, the, the name for that one record, or thought the name would stick, and it didn't. And so he just said, screw it, and then started calling the Amazing Shitheads again. But uh, pretty much every other show that I remember after that album had the name Amazing Shitheads. Um, and it, not entity was just a one-off.
1: Okay. Regarding the artwork and Zoogs as an artist, not something that gets talked about quite so much. I know Like when he was younger, when he lived in New Jersey and stuff, he he did a a lot of painting, or he had a phase where he did a lot of painting. Seems like at this phase, a lot of his album artwork, for sure, has collage art on it. Is that something that he did outside of the band, or would this would this have just been something he did for the specifically for the album?
2: Well, uh, during the time that he was putting when he was doing music. He did no art that I can recall uh, at, at all except for flyers or album um, art. He did no paintings or anything like that. Towards the end of his life, he started doing paintings again and selling them. But uh, when he was doing music, he, he concentrated solely on music except for the occasional artwork that was necessary to uh, support whatever music he was he was putting out.
1: For the back cover on this, tell me who's who I'm looking at here. I can see Jack Brewer, I believe, drinking a beer in a bathtub.
2: Yeah, that's 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 Jack. Uh, uh, I can tell you almost. I can just go through clockwise. Sure. At the very top is Mark Crawford. To his right is John Truby. Okay. And then to his right is me.
1: That's you with the white and lap then, with the like. White lab coat with the face. No, no, on? no!
2: That's Alan Eucster. Okay. I'm in between Alan Eucster and John Truby. Okay. Uh, Alan Eucster is the guy in the white, uh, the white coat, and then underneath him is Ed O'Brien, and sitting on top of Aaron, his son's head, is his wife. So it's a picture of his wife taken about 1960, uh, sitting on top of her son Aaron's head, taken around 1986. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, and then Zigs at the bottom, uh, and then Mark Mylar over on the left with the uh, headband. I now I see another picture of Ed, and now I, now I'm beginning to second guess myself whether the guy under Alan is really anybody else. But he would have to be because there's no other. I don't think there's any other musicians unaccounted for on the record. Willie is right above uh, Jack Brewer, wearing the uh, the sunglasses. Okay, and I. think, think yeah yeah Matt Carlson is to the left of the nipple on the on the left side of the, the record.
0: <laughs>
2: and then Zoogs is above that wearing his wrestling uh um costume thing which he wore to a couple of shows uh as I recall. Uh and I think I think that's all the I think that's all the people.
1: Okay. Now when this record came out, do you recall what the response was? Uh
2: it was Fairly lackluster. The, the, I, I don't think it, it was as well received as *I'm um, living Puke*, but it was probably more well received than, than *Water*. Uh, I remember accolades. The, the musicians got got uh, a, a few um, uh, accolades. Whereas in the past, that was not really. Uh, they didn't get. They didn't get, get uh, much uh, much praise. Well, you know. I, um not not at all frankly uh well that's not that's not fair um not for i i guess the, the stuff i participated in didn't get much mention but uh there, there, i remember yeah the critics were talking about the musicians on the, on the record and, and it seemed to be fairly well received but no, i would have living puke and ipecac seemed to be a lot better received uh, if, you're, if you're going by press clippings. right uh, you know, I don't know how the I don't know how the album sold. I don't know any of the statistics on that. I'd sure like to know.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but but uh, and I and I question, given SST's uh, reputation with paying bands, whether whether any statistics would even be reliable. Yeah. If we could even get our hands on them.
1: Okay. What about playing shows after this came out?
2: Unfortunately, there were no shows and no plans to do any shows. And I never understood. Exactly why I think Mark Crawford was not up for it, and I think he he may have even made that clear from the beginning that he he was was only willing to do the record. I hate to say it because it sounds so uh, egotistical, but he couldn't find anybody he he couldn't get a band together who could play this stuff. Right, uh, at least not right away. Because he, he I know he did try. He, he was able to do some of these tunes in concert later on years later but he tried to get a band together that i was yeah yeah he and i must have had some sort of falling out between this and and, and non-entity which is why i was only in non-entity for just one 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 song uh but uh, as i recall we did try to get a band together to do um to support this record and it didn't go anywhere could have gone it, it could have had nothing to do with the complexity of the music either it could have been other reasons but uh it, it was a common complaint that that Luke had trouble getting especially keyboards uh, somebody to play uh, things like halloween that's why halloween was never performed live ever uh cause he as he told me he, he couldn't find anybody to play it so right.
1: Craig, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming back on and helping us with all these Zoogs episodes, too, by the way. Thank you for all of all of the help you've provided.
2: Oh, well, I, I it's, it's my pleasure, and I would have been uh, terribly offended had you not called me <laughs> in for this record because I'm so proud of it. I really It, it
1: really it. is a good one. It's, it's a good one for sure.
2: You have a good night.
0: Thanks. You too. Okay. All right, man. I'm so glad you invited Craig back because it sounds like he was going to be super ticked off. Had you not, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love well, that.
1: You know what? I think the thing for Craig is he's pretty proud of this record and he should be. It's a good one.
0: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, it was, it was interesting though, like hearing about, about Zugs. Um, I think we said this in a prior episode about zoogs, but, well, maybe I just said it, about how I can, you know, from time to time, not always, but from time to time, definitely relate to his frustration that comes through on the album. Yeah, for <laughs> like sure. His lyrics, his lyrics on Halloween, I'm like, oh, I hear you, brother. I hear you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a few things, Ryan. It was recorded June, July 1987, so... The actual last Zug's Rift record in real time that we would have done would have been Water 1, which was SST-099, but we did see that spate of reissues between Water 1 and this one. So this is is actually his second release then of 1987, and I believe SST-174, Son of Puke, the cassette-only release, also came out in 1987. So if you add on to that the four reissues that we've already discussed, you have a grand total of seven Zug's Rift releases on SST in 1987. Wow. Add to that, Ryan, there was two in 1986, and we're going to see two in 1988. That is 11 in three years, Zug's Rift releases on SST. <laughs> and... In, wow. be- in between water one and two in 1987 he produced the scott Colby slide of hand record which we'll be getting to on Sst 151 so you can't you can't knock the work ethic for sure
0: no that's insane man wow that's a lot of Zoog's rift for even for a fan but yeah. uh I mean I'm glad it's out there for sure yeah
1: now the two main resources we've used for Zoogs other than the interviews have been the Fireside Chat movie that his son Aaron made and his book Zoogs' book Clams in a Glass considering this was one of his favorite records he glosses over this era in both of those Uh, the main interview that I took stuff from and it's only a snippet is Willie Lapin in the Fireside Chat movie he says this album was more symphonic than any of the other albums they did Hmm. And the symphonic parts were brought out by the keyboards is what he says. and this was released by SST on LP and cassette. right.
0: Do you know whether this one is uh i I didn't bother to check, but is this one out there like streaming with extra tracks one of those types of jobs? Yep, I think they all are. But yeah this I, one is yeah I, I thought they might. yeah, I haven't
1: checked though. yeah, I didn't really check that one out either. the digital one. Do you want to go through the through the tracks, though? Sure, man. History lesson, part two. Okay, track one, side one, Ball." This might be the most rockin' opening track we've heard on a Zoox Rift record. <laughs> I love the raunchy riff that gets us going. This is the core band, and the core band on this record is Willie on bass, Mark Crawford on drums, and Craig, Mr. California, Unkrich on keys. Zoog's just tearing shit up on the guitar. The promo ads for this say, The Legend Continues, featuring the hit song Sleazeball. So this was definitely like the song that he was pushing as the kind of hit. And I also hit up Henry Kaiser to get confirmation that Mark Crawford was indeed in the band Name. Henry says he was in Name, along with his brother Rick Crawford, Mark plays drums on the Everett Shock record, Ghost Boys, which is SST-192, which is really just a name record. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Henry talks about the band name in our episode 118, where we interviewed him. Track 2, Halloween. This is again the core band, plus Jack Brewer.
0: I like this one. Yeah, me too. I like uh, how it starts out with some eerie sounding sounding keys and into that great guitar riff to kick off the the song. I love that. I think this might be the lyric you were
1: referencing, Ryan, when you said you could relate. Now is the time for us to be dressing up like fucking idiots. Yep. <laughs> or was it? Or was it the line where he was going, "Got to impress Chicanos at the Seven <laughs> 11 <laughs> No.
0: I was, uh, I think I might just sit this one out. (laughs) (laughs) Track three, Mboogaloo. Am I saying that right? Yeah, it's Mboogaloo. There's a definition of Mboogaloo at the back of the record. I don't know if you knew that. No, hit me with it. Okay. (laughs) I'm not sure it's real. Um, (laughs) And it's really hard to read as well. Let's see here. It says um, male genitalia, a giant mythical giant in archaic Ugandan and Hawaiian literature. God, I can't even read the rest of the words here. It's so hard. A, hmm. a, a goofy, awkward dance is another defined term for m'boogaloo. So I'm I'm pretty sure that that's like not a real definition. <laughs> no. No, this would be probably one of those made-up Zoogs words.
1: Zoogs is playing just the funkiest wah-wah riff on this one. Oh yeah. Percussion wah instro for sure. Yeah. I was just doing some serious rubber necking to this one all week. <laughs> Whenever it came on. Craig's soloing is pretty great too.
0: You were doing you were doing the umboogaloo.
1: Yeah. I guess I was. The whole band is pretty smoking on yep. this track. Yeah, Mark they, Myler on
0: sax on this one. They can really play on this record. Like they always can play, but this one they were in a zone for sure. Yeah. Well I think like Craig talks about in the interview
1: about how they didn't really perform a lot of this stuff live, because his band, after this, maybe wasn't capable of doing some of it. Yeah. Okay, track four, I Peaked in the Devil's Secret Hell Files. Craig mentions in the interview, this one goes back at least in some incarnation to the Micro Mastodons era. This is also the one that has the snippet of music recreated from Trout Mask Replica. There's actually an interview where an interviewer mentions it. It's from the track "Golden Birdies." There's also a snippet from "Peaches and Regalia" too. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool how he he does that—a pale imitation of Captain Beefheart—and then he plays that riff. Or am I too much like Frank Zappa? And then, and then he, does he also do, he also does one of these
0: Mu-an.
1: yeah, <laughs> very exact. Uh, yeah, for sure. This one is the core band plus Alan Eugster on violin. Brewer, again, Aaron T-Bar Rift. E. Bentley O'Brien on electric bass. Truby on mini Moog. How great is it to hear Jack Brewer on this record, though?
0: Yeah, Yeah. great. uh, That's a great um, partnership there, I guess. Or, you know, like a great marriage. Brewer and Zoogs, they should have been together for more tracks for sure. And then halfway through this one, Matt
1: Carlson from Earth Dies Burning makes an appearance. And I think they're referencing the, the skit that Craig talks about where they killed him. Like it maybe should have been on this record because then it's going. Zeus go, goes, it can't be you, you're dead. And yeah, OK, then the next song is the cover of Walk, Don't Run. Written by American guitarist Johnny Smith in 1954, covered by Chet Atkins, but then sped up and made popular by The Ventures. It reached number two on the Billboard charts and was kept out of the number one spot by Elvis's It's Now or Never. This is hmm. the one that starts with uh, Laura Rift saying, celebrity voice is impersonated. Yeah. I like how the keys and the guitar double each other on this one.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's got its own flavor. Um, Walk, Don't Run covers usually really, really sound like, you know, just a modern version of the Ventures version. This sounds like a ZOOG's riff version, which is nice.
1: The midsection to this sounds like an original piece of music too. Okay, flip it over and we're back to the secret Marines. This time they must die. This is the core band. Again, killer riff and tone from Willie to kick things off on the bass. Just when you thought things couldn't get any wilder with these Secret Marines tracks, this one tears the roof off the, the whole series. It's all over the place in a good way. The musical, It's musical chaos, but with chops. This is the one where he's screaming about the mouthful of chompers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <sighs>
1: so good. Okay, track two, side two, Sweet Nausea Lick, aptly named song. This one doesn't have any drums on it. It's Willie Zoogs and an Alan Uekster on synth. Uh, This is the one where he's going, we got to go find Bingo's Fada. Yep. (laughs) What a nasty beast. Yeah. Okay, and then one of my faves is the Alice Cooper cover because I'm a big fan of Alice Cooper. This is the song Caught in a Dream, written by Alice Cooper band guitarist Michael Bruce. It's the lead track off the band's 1971 album *Love It to Death*, which originally came out on Frank Zappa's Straight label. Yep. As were the first two records as well by the Alice Cooper Cooper group before Warner Brothers reissued this one. This is a great version of the song. I, I one of the reviews I read called it a a new wave version of it. Hmm. And I think Brewer's
0: listed on vocals here, but I I don't hear him on this one. You're right. He is. Uh, It's listed as additional vocals, though, so it might be buried. Yeah. What
1: would you think of this one, Caught in
0: a Dream? Oh, it's good. Uh, I know those first few uh, Alice Cooper records, and uh, I recognize the track from it. It's good. I like it. Right on. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Track four, I Can't Do This With You Looking At Me
1: core band again, pretty demented stop-start intro with Craig playing leads on keys. It's an interesting track. Track five, Strictly El Segundo. The core band plus E. Bentley O'Brien on guitar. Another old Micro Mastodons track, Craig mentions. Some interesting lyrics. To swat the flies away from the fly hole. <laughs> <laughs> the chorus is great. He was a legendary hero. His IQ was zero. This was a standout track for me, strictly El Segundo. I think uh, Craig mentions in the interview they did this one
0: live for many years. Yeah, it's another rocker too. You know, it it it's what it's one of the ones that gives it that rocker vibe for the whole record.
1: Yeah, and then we kind of end the record the same way Water One ended, but instead yeah. of synth, a bunch of synths layered together, it's some guitar. Yep, picking and plucking. I like this one a lot better than Water One. I remember not really liking that one too much.
0: Yeah. Well, we had come off some some Killer Zoogs albums and Water One was like not quite up there, but this one is better for sure. And not because it's not because it's you know, more straight ahead, I suppose. It is a bit more cohesive and the playing on it is at another level. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I really like Zoogs' guitar playing on this record too. Yep. Here's a few reviews I found, Ryan that are pretty good. And uh, I don't have credits for any of these, so I apologize for that. I don't care how many fuckers have called Zoogs a Zappa or heart clone. He's still got an edge which screams of uniquity to me. Jack the Hidden Sack Brewer <laughs> <laughs> and John Photogenic Truby make celebrity guest appearances with the shitheads and rock up an almighty storm. Ah, uh, Peaked has to be the song of the 80s and makes me proud to be a misanthrope, introverted dork that I am. Excellent covers of Walk, Don't Run from that Halibut's ripoff band of the 60s. Gives me reconfirmed hope in the open arms policy of SST. Here's another one. It would seem that someone has put up a fair amount of money to enable Mr. Rift to publicly display some serious emotional problems in this album. <laughs> Because, because the production values are high throughout and they are good Mark Myler recorded this one at his Trident yep. Studios and it is good
0: oh it is, I know it's good, uh, I agree
1: he goes on the band hangs together through complex arrangements the drive and percussion of drummer Mark Crawford are marvelous and Willie Lepin's biting bass is compelling and here's one more In my estimation, tis the best thing the liquid Moamo has cooked up in his long, illustrious career. Hmm. I would put this up there for sure, just thinking back. I I think I liked, my favorites so far have been uh, The Island of Living Puke, (laughs) Hippecac, or no, Amputees in Limbo I really liked. Uh, The first one, uh, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course. Let's talk about the artwork, Ryan.
0: So, the album cover has got Zoogs just grappling with the mic on stage. And uh, it looks like he's really getting into it with some aviator shades. And, um, and then it's got kind of, you know, it's kind of got a bit of an 80s motif type set. But then with just like paint, blood splatter, splashes all over the front cover. Totally fits. Yeah, photo
1: taken by Tom Ferranti, who I believe was an old friend of Zug's, maybe from New Jersey, but don't quote me on that. He might have come out there with Zook's. He's been, we've seen him before. Maybe it, he might have taken some other photos. I'm not sure. I can't remember if he played in the band or not, but I know that name for sure. And uh, I think Craig mentions in the interview this photo was taken live at Raji's. This sidebar here this photo like with his logo and stuff that's the image that's on the bumper sticker that came with this yeah man you had that came in your record Ryan
0: yeah yeah I've got the bumper sticker that's amazing <laughs> I've got the I've got the insert as well and you yeah. the insert has the same photo and it's hard to tell but it looks like Zoogs is rocking either some white cowboy boots or white penny loafers or something. Um, as he's just given it with the fingerless gloves on stage, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the full,
1: the full version of that picture. Yeah, the back cover pretty amazing with some Whoa. some <laughs> of Zoog's kind of trademark, uh, I guess, repurposed collage art. You've got pictures of all the the band members on there. Who's your fave? It's got to be Brewer, hey. In the tub. Yeah. Of course. Are you kidding me? The hair and the sideburns, though. Oh, the chops. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Interesting to hear Mark say that Zoog's, this isn't the first time I've had a really hard time reading
0: the back of one of these LPs. Interesting to learn that that was intentional. It definitely is hard. The typeset, the colors, like the contrast is, there's no contrast. Yeah. It's really hard to read the wording. Yeah.
1: Overall, I don't know, Ryan. It's a great record. I'm looking forward to getting getting back into Zoogs. I have a feeling it's going to be a while, though, which is a shame. Do you want to hear some dead wax or what? Oh, yeah.
0: You know I do. Here we go. Okay, side one. We haven't had any dead wax for a while. Side one says fan black data. Side two says this space for rent. Uh-huh. That's it. All right. ballot result you betcha ballot result what do you like Ryan my pick is Halloween hands down oh really oh yeah I I love just just the way the song starts and uh and I love the lyrics I like sleaeze ball yep uh buglo
1: strictly al yep. Segundo and caught in a dream yeah, there's loss
0: on here. You wouldn't have picked Halloween?
1: No, but you know what's my favorite thing about Halloween is the is Jack Brewer. So maybe we should do that one and get get Brewer back in there. I couldn't think of a better reason. All right. Hey, thanks to Craig for coming back on the show. He's helped us with all these Zoogs episodes, so it's it's really yeah. appreciated.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're one of the family, Craig. Thanks, man. Yeah. Ryan, what's next week? Dude, next week, we're going to start a bit of a Minuteman run. We're going to go post-Mersh, Volume 1.
1: Wicked. We've got a special guest, too, Ryan. Stuart Sweezy from Desolation Centre is on the podcast.
0: Yeah, looking forward to hearing about that. It's a great documentary and a great connection with the Minutemen, too.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.